Welcome to Plastics Unwrapped. In this podcast series, you'll hear the experts investigating the innovations as well as the challenges the plastics industry faces. It is hosted by Judy Hicks and brought to you by Dow. Hello and welcome. In today's episode, we're going to talk about how we can address the challenge of Africa's informal waste sector. We're exploring new business models in order to tackle the immense challenge of waste in Africa and different collaborations which not only tackle plastic waste, but also deliver economic prosperity. Today, I'm very pleased to be joined by Adjua Coleman from Dow, who has been instrumental in driving forward our sustainability strategy in Africa. We're also delighted to be joined by Vivian Look, Executive Director of the NGO Work, an organisation that supports families out of poverty through dignified jobs. And Cordy Aziz-Nash, founder and executive director of Environment 360, an organisation which aims to create inclusive waste management value chains, which lead to zero waste in communities. So thank you very much for joining us today. And let's start by hearing from each of you. Hi, my name is Cordy Aziz. I'm the founder and executive director of Environment 360. We are a Ghana-based NGO that specializes in supporting communities in developing circular solutions for their waste streams so that they can harness the full value. Our organization specifically has a focus on supporting women waste pickers uh, move up the value chain uh, from collection into aggregators, processors, and small-scale recyclers. Uh, We're really excited to be here today to discuss all of the great potential solutions uh, for plastic waste and how we can continue to empower women to play critical parts of the value chain. Hi, everyone. My name is Adjoa Coleman, and I'm the Africa Sustainability and Advocacy Manager for Dow's Packaging and Specialty Plastic Business. I'm also the country manager for our office in Ghana. As part of my role, I help Dow to create projects and partnerships across Africa that help to advance our plastic sustainability strategy. The first part of our strategy deals with stopping the waste, which is essentially all of the things we do to ensure that plastics no longer ends up in the environment and landfill. And the second part, which is closely linked, is closing the loop which is everything directed at bringing those materials which are recovered or stopped from going into the environment and landfill into circular economy loops. Very happy to be here. Thank you. Hello, everybody. My name is Vivian Luke. I'm the executive director at Work. Work is a nonprofit organization that accompanies individuals out of poverty through good, dignified jobs. We're also a part of a uh, initiative called the First Mile with our sister company, Thread. And First Mile works in waste supply chains across the globe, supporting informal waste collectors to access the market to ensure that there's a livelihood in place. In doing so, we also work collaboratively across the entire supply chain with aggregators, recyclers, brand partners, consumers to address all of the issues that play at hand at improving the challenges that our collectors address at the first mile. We connect the dots for everybody across the value chain to ensure that there's collaborative opportunities and that improvements across the chain benefits everybody collaboratively and equally. So I'm going to dive straight in. The topic of climate justice was a key theme at last year's COP climate conference in Glasgow. But what does climate justice mean? And why is it important for both policymakers and business leaders? 
Thank you very much for the question, Judy. And I think to set the context, as you mentioned, we want to explore the role of the informal sector in this entire conversation, right? So what is the role of the informal sector? What are the challenges that we're seeing within this recycling space? And what part or responsibility should be owned by the private sector? Informal sector work in general, and especially in the waste space, I think has its challenges that's built into the very nature of the job and in the name, right? Informal, not recognized as a profession. And that's really where the first of the issues within that space starts. It's not recognized as a profession in many countries. And so they don't typically have access to the benefits that a formal worker would have and are even unbankable in some cases because some of them are undocumented. They also suffer from significantly unstable incomes because their markets are not set. Many of them collect and sell to middlemen who they're really at the mercy of, who give them whatever pricing um, is available for that day. And the markets is unregulated. So... These are some of the issues that they face around the economic side. But additionally, they also have several physical and health hazard exposures as they do this work, as you can imagine. Several of them pick at the landfill. Some of them pick within communities and in the general environment. And in handling waste or something that's gone through the consumer chain, there are several hazards that are included. Sharp objects, and especially over the last few years, the Exposure to COVID. And so it's important to set the context on how vulnerable they are within the space. Now, recycling comes in and basically demands that these materials that they were collecting, which were previously considered waste, are now going to be a resource. And so considering all of these factors and some of the challenges within their work, the system now wants to recover these materials in bulk. And this is where the challenge comes in with trying to put in place circularity or circular programs um, within these informal contexts. The private sector can help uh, to solve some of these challenges by innovating to create a market for the materials so that that value that the informal sector can tap into from collecting it actually carries through the life cycle of the product. Additionally, within the markets where we create programs and projects to be able to recover materials where informal sector are present, we can work with those partners who prioritize a livable wage and well-being for the informal sector in their operations to ensure that they are protected. And Cordy, what does climate justice mean for you? Climate justice for me means providing really an equitable environment where everyone can fully take part, not only in a circular economy, but their livelihoods are also protected from changes that we might face from climate change. I think oftentimes when we look at who we're focusing on in a lot of our messaging and, and other things, we often focus on a certain niche of individuals. And this often leaves out the urban poor and rural poor. I think climate justice ensures that everyone across the playing field uh, has access to certain services, has access to sustainability options that really make their life easier. And this is what climate justice means to me in particular. So Vivian, what would your perspective be on climate justice? Yeah, and I'll add to that, you know, climate justice for us means that we are bringing to light that 
there are so many people and places that are affected that are completely invisible and unrecognized. And to us, climate justice means that we're bringing everybody to the same table when coming up with solutions, when talking about the challenge. And, you know, to Cordy's point that everybody has an equal part in working together to solve the issue, but that also everybody is held accountable for their part that they should be playing. And I think, you know, across the world, we're in places that we work in, oftentimes we see that climate issues play a large part in the day-to-day challenges that our families and the collectors that we work with face, and that they have been working very hard at solving these issues with very little resources. And, you know, to us, bringing a light to this work means that we are supporting them in the solutions that they already know how to enact to address the issues by bringing additional resources to the table, specifically through those who have a heavy hand at causing these climate issues. I think to add to what both Cordy and Vivian have just said, for me, climate justice really unearths the potential for unintended consequences as we race to zero as a planet, right? So basically, there are livelihoods that are currently built in and maybe even thriving in the current system of how things work. And those livelihoods need to be protected as we switch to a zero carbon system, um, which of course is down the line. But in the decisions that we're making today, it is extremely important that we consider those livelihoods and consider those who could potentially be impacted uh, within this change. It's a good change, but how do we ensure that the people who currently work in the system today are able to still thrive in the future, right? So one classic example I can give is that a lot of informal sector workers find themselves picking at landfills. And it's not by choice. It's because currently within Africa, over 91% of the solid waste that's generated actually ends up in environment or landfill, meaning that there is a significant amount that we need to do to ensure that instead of the waste ending up in those places, that we're sorting and separating at source, so in the homes, in the schools, and in other places. But once that happens, what does that mean for the people who are picking at the landfills? And so I think Something that's very important around what Cordy said when she spoke about Environment 360 is moving waste pickers up the value chain. I think that this will be one of the tools that we can use in the future in order to protect them from some of these unintended consequences of the good decisions we're making towards a a zero carbon planet. So, Cordy, why is empowering female waste pickers particularly important? So I think when you look at the waste value chain, women play an undeniable role. I think it's really critical that we pay more attention to women because typically they're the ones that handle waste. When you look at developing a sustainable community collection system that does not have a long-term financial burden on a municipal assembly, women waste pickers are at the center of it. Although Adwa mentioned that there are a lot of waste pickers on the landfill, there also are a lot of community waste pickers who have a tendency to be women. 
One of the key things I think we have to remember is that the World Economic Forum recently did a gender survey on our plastics value chain. And what they discovered is that more than 90% of women are at the very bottom of the value chain. This is actually really alarming considering that they put in the longest hours and they do some of the longest work. Most interventions which are centered around women waste picker typically enhance their capacity to collect. However, through Environment 360, our research over the past few years, we found that these women aren't collecting at maximum capacity because there's not enough money or incentives in it. One of the challenges I think that we face in Sub-Saharan Africa is that we do have a very limited value chain for collected plastic material. So many of our collections have focused on collection and not innovation or interventions that focus more on processing that you will find that there's always a bottleneck in the collection of plastic because off-takers will only take so much. I think we really saw this uh, become very prevalent during COVID-19, where the whole value chain for plastics essentially broke down since we could no longer export. And I think that what this really showed us is that many of these women are very vulnerable when it comes to this business. And a large part of it is because they don't have the technology and the finance and the access that allows them to be things such as processors or major aggregators or even small scale recyclers that actually insulate them and give them more economic stability. So I think that it's important that when we look at creating an inclusive value chain that we understand and recognize that women continue to be the center and perhaps even the best solution to sustainable community collection systems. Following on from this topic, it brings us nicely to social impact. And Vivian, social impact is at the core of your model. Why is this important for businesses? And what's the relationship between social impact and reducing plastic waste? Yeah, you know, I We think that this is important to businesses in particular because, you know, for far too long, there's barely a recognition that informal waste collectors are a part of their supply chain. Prior to probably way before we started this work, you know, the the first mile of the supply chains are looked at at the factory level, but not at the raw material level. And, you know, groups like us and, you know, Environmental 360, I'm sure, and others who are out there working with informal waste collectors are shedding a very large bright light on the very hard work that informal waste collectors and others who are working with raw material is bringing to the table. The resources that is being collected and gathered so that brands can incorporate recycled material into their supply chain so that circular strategies can exist is incredibly important. Um, Recycled plastic industry is growing and heading towards a $12 billion industry by 2026. There's no reason why informal waste collectors and everybody else at the first mile of the supply chain should still struggle to make ends meet. So we think that this is important because we want to see and we think it's important that everybody across a supply chain is not just making a livelihood, but is finding dignity and value in the work that they do as much as everybody else across the rest of that supply chain. And so, you know, we want to make sure that we're shedding a light on that and that bringing in everybody else 
all of the key actors across the supply chain to collaborate on this is step one uh, to helping them understand what are the best ways to support informal waste collectors, aggregators, and others who are working at the very first mile of the supply chain. How can that collaboration lead to improved livelihoods? How can that collaboration lead to an improvement in the quantity and the quality of material that's being collected? How can that collaboration lead to better products and packaging and and education from consumers at the end of that supply chain. That relationship is important also because there is also a very high chance and a real possibility for us to end poverty at the very first mile of the supply chain. When we look at how might we accompany individuals who are working in the very first mile to end poverty for themselves, there is a real answer there because that industry exists. The market exists. The money there certainly exists. It's a matter of how much are we all willing to support the informal waste collectors and their role, the important role that they play you know, across this entire supply chain and for businesses who are a part of this. With that in mind, Vivian, how important are collaborations with strategic partners in the regions themselves? And how do they make an impact on the waste sector and support sustainable development? I say that it's incredibly important. And in fact, that there's really not a whole lot of opportunities to improve livelihoods without those strategic partnerships. You know, in a place like Haiti, for example, without investing in a recycler who can process material at a higher quality and higher quantity, there leaves very a smaller market for collectors to sell to. It also leaves a less valuable market for collectors to sell to as well. In improving the, in bringing an investment into the recycling uh, facility that we partner with in Haiti, we are effectively also able to five times the output of our collection network. And that output allows us to also improve all of the social factors of the conditions of work, the way of which our aggregators interact with their collectors, the operations of our aggregators uh, for our collectors as well. So everything from a faster payment system, a more collaborative work setting, all of that is allowing us to produce higher quantity and higher quality of material for recyclers and the brands that that purchase from that network. So that collaboration is incredibly important. And HP is one of our brand partners for that market and CPI card group as well. Through their work, they're also not just opening up the market and demand for the material. In addition to doing that, they're also uh, putting their philanthropic dollars into direct social impact programming for our collectors. So, you know, when when everybody across the value chain sees the value of the work that our informal waste collectors are doing and are willing to engage and participate and support that work, everybody thrives. You know, they're seeing, again, better quantity and quality of material, but they're also seeing an improved interest and outcomes and engagement by their employees as well, because now that supply chain is visible, that supply chain is now being supported, and that supply chain is now uh, dignified as well. And so, you know, the strategic collaboration is incredibly important in order for us to actually make measurable improvements in the lives of our waste collectors. And from their standpoint, too, understanding where their material goes and understanding that in their collaboration with our brand partners, they're not just finding a market to sell their products, but they're also receiving other opportunities to address their day-to-day lives, the essential needs that they have, the ability to make a higher income or move up the ladder in uh, waste collection. That brings 
a whole different level of dignity and value and, and meaning to the work that they do. You know, our collectors uh, went from, you know, being embarrassed and ashamed of the work that they do to now being proud to be a waste collector, being proud to step foot into one of our classrooms and talk about what they do on a day-to-day basis. And that's the difference that we cannot make without all of the strategic partners who are um, at the table today. So I think Vivian definitely hits on some really key points that really encompass partnerships and the value of partnerships. Environment 360, what we've learned through our experience, particularly here in Ghana, is that we try to form our strategic partnerships a little bit differently than the traditional way. Most of the time when we look at partnerships for the informal sector worker, it is not necessarily the most sustainable contribution. So sometimes it's about um, donating tricycles or donating personal protective gear or even, you know, um, supporting in a buyback scheme or even health insurance. And while these things are definitely value added incentives that informal sector really enjoy and are very much needed, we also find that it doesn't necessarily push the sustainability agenda. What we've done is we've recently developed the first circular innovation hub in West Africa. And what this does is it addresses some of the issues that Vivian has discussed, particularly around the stigmatization of waste picking. Uh, Many people don't want to pick waste for a living. When we did a survey of our waste pickers, almost 100% said that if there was something else that they could be doing, they would definitely do it. So I think that it's really important that we realize that a lot of people, this isn't a first career choice. However, what we found in creating the value of partnerships is creating a business model that allows informal sector collectors access to finance and technology to actually grow and build their own businesses so that they see past collection. We want to work with the informal sector waste collectors to know that even if you're collecting today, you don't always have to collect. What the Circular Innovation Hub does is it actually provides them with capacity and training and skills to where they can actually turn a fraction of the plastic they collect into a valuable second life product. So we think that when we look at partnerships, we'd like to see partnerships like this that not only create additional jobs, because through our estimate, each woman trained through the program will create at least 15 additional jobs, 10 collection jobs, and then five technical jobs to help support her production capacity. It also empowers people to really become that next level of recycler, which essentially provides a greater incentive to collect plastic. I think the challenge, at least in Ghana, what I've seen about people collecting plastic is many people don't see a way out. So yes, they do it. Yes, they could do more, but they also don't want to be seen collecting plastic. But when you can make it more attractive to them and they know that, okay, there's an opportunity to do something else or there's an opportunity to learn a livable wage. So I think we need to create partnerships that really create the value for the money given and that really do last the test of time, even if that organization decides to pull out or not support that in the future. Is it of strategic importance for Dow to get involved in this space or could we be accused of greenwashing here? Adjwa. Judy, to be honest, We have to get involved in this space. Every time I talk to people around why we have projects that 
if you dive a little deeper, sometimes seem very, very grassroots, is the basis that these informal sector workers are part of our new value chain. Previously, when we had models that dealt specifically with uh, virgin feedstocks and other types of feedstocks, we essentially looked at a very short part of our value chain. We interacted with our customers, who are mainly the converters, and their customers, who are the brands. And even Dow, as a company that I can proudly say is sustainable or very sustainability conscious and has been working around sustainability concepts over two decades plus, we recognize the fact that this new challenge of plastic in the environment demanded that we reach beyond our converters and the brands who are their customers to go all the way into the waste value chain and try to understand. And when we started to dive into this space, there were a lot of lessons that we started to learn. We, we realized certain things about the market that would take strategic partnerships to be able to surmount. But I think what is more important also today is that it's not a, a nice to have. Dealing all the way down to that level of the value chain or working with the informal sector to enable a circular economy is no longer a nice to have. It's on our scorecard. We're being judged by this on, on an ESG level, which of course, as we understand, is a very big part of scorecards uh, for many companies today. And so for us, I definitely wouldn't say that this is greenwashing. I strongly believe that this is a very intentional and needed part of our strategy as a company. Cordy, over to you. Do you think companies are currently doing enough in this space? So I would agree with Adjua. I think that companies are doing what they can, but I also would like to go back to my original point that really we cannot just depend on companies to continually give money to initiatives. That's just not sustainability at its finest. Do I think that they could put in a lot more money? Yes. Uh, but I also think that they're looking for a solution that is more symbiotic. I think that we have to create opportunities to, like Adjua said, not only look at informal sector workers being collectors on the value chain, but what are the other ways that they can support the value chain? Is there opportunity for them in product development? Are there opportunities to train them to learn a skill specifically for your organization and then turn that skill into employment, not only for themselves, but other community members? I think that what we are missing is really a more workable strategic format between private sector, CSOs, and government. I think that now a large part of it focuses on developing these, these strong policies and then looking to private sector to continually finance them. And as much as we know that private sector definitely does have a role to play and they definitely are 100% responsible for what they put out, I think we have to find a more functioning system that makes them more comfortable putting in money. One thing I think I've learned with interacting with private sector is they don't mind putting up money for initiatives that they think are sustainable and they think are going to have long lasting impact and that can even contribute to their own business model. So I think that we need to look at how we're developing more solutions and hopefully the Circular Innovation Hub can be one of those solutions that fills that particular gap and really starts working with private sector to look at different ways and 
and different skills and different technologies that we can implement on a very basic level that creates more jobs, that incentivizes people to collect more waste and reduce a lot of the climate change that we're seeing uh, rapidly spreading. And Vivian, it's clear that partnerships are going to be key and we have a shared responsibility. Would you offer some understanding of where you think the share lies, if we were to meet out share, if you like, between private sector, government and NGOs such as yourself? Yeah, and I think it depends on where we are talking about, what geographic location and the capacities and, you know, baseline needs as well. But I think that all key actors, government, nonprofit, private sector, have a shared responsibility in understanding what the baseline needs are, what the baseline challenges are, and come to the table together on the solutions and partner with our waste collectors and everybody across the supply chain to come up with solutions that they can each take a piece on um, and lead. I think that at the end of the day, you might not get everybody putting an equal share of financial resources or an equal share of time. But I think that at the end of the day, what we want to see is that everybody's at the table, sharing in those challenges and the solutions and having an agreed upon path to move forward. To add to Ajwa and, and Cordy's point, you know, there, aside from financial resources, there are other things that private sector can do as well. They have a big advocacy uh, capacity larger than the most NGOs do have, you know, in, in affecting change at the policy level. They also have an ability to leverage the funding that they have for other resources, such as philanthropic resources, um, governmental resources, uh, etc. In the work that we do, we oftentimes look to not just figuring out how do we affect change for our waste collectors, but also in a holistic approach in figuring out how do we affect change in the community that they are in as well. You know, going back to our earlier conversation about climate justice, oftentimes the communities, a lot of them landfill-based or landfill-adjacent that are informal waste collectors uh, either work at or live in and work at are areas that are oftentimes highly neglected, um, forgotten. They're food deserts. They are very far apart from many kinds of services. How can we work with them to ensure that they're no longer visible, that they are also getting the kinds of safety net resources that governments might already be providing, that we're bringing an important light to the work that they do, but to the conditions that they work and live in as well. You know, so I, I think that there's a lot that we can do, even just at the baseline to figure out how do we bring the kinds of resources to these communities that are available to others at the moment. Cordy, how positive are you about the future of the plastic waste challenge on the continent? In your opinion, what is the most important thing which needs to change? So I think this is a really great question. One, I'm very confident in the future of plastic waste collection on the continent of Africa. I think over the past five years, the amount of interest, the growth we've seen, I mean, has been amazing. Uh, we've had a lot of great companies, including uh, Dow, really step up to show that they're also committed to finding solutions. I think the important thing that needs to change is really how we look at waste pickers and the intervention that we take. As much as, once again, we know collection is critical, we really have to start paying attention to other parts 
of the value chain that ensure that there is a strong, complete value chain. Once again, just giving the example of Ghana, the majority of our interventions have focused in on collection, which have, as I mentioned, created that bottleneck in an outlet. I think what I would like to see is a more holistic outlook on how we are actually dealing with informal sector and how they actually fit into the value chain. I think that if we look at them where they are right now, everyone is going to lose. You know, we asked that pivotal question, what exactly is climate justice? And as Adjua mentioned, climate justice is ensuring that as society progresses, as technology progresses, those that have been using this as a livelihood aren't left behind. So I think I'm more hopeful in the fact that we can use more technology and innovation to equip the informal sector worker or the the waste picker to really actually be able to do more, to want to collect more in their community and play a more pivotal role. That would be my biggest hope for how we see plastic collection upcoming and how we see the role of the informal sector. And finally, Adjua, um, what would you expect to see from Dow over the next few years as we continue to step up and improve the waste challenge in Africa? What would be your hopes? I would hope that Dow would do more of what we did with Mr. Green. I think it's not something to take for granted that a company of our magnitude and our stature within the value chain made an equity investment into a startup recycler within Africa. And this financial incentive or this uh, financial investment is one thing, but I would like to see our models continue to evolve in the future where beyond money, we also are providing expertise to build up the capacity within the region so that there are solutions for circularity on the ground and by people on the ground. And this is, I think, a great first step. We definitely built the investment and the collaboration with Mr. Green to be shaped this way. We're offering our expertise as a virgin resin manufacturer to help enhance their operations on the ground and their mechanical recycling. And I would like to see more companies step up to do this within the region, working with local partners, partnering not just on the financial side, but also in helping to build expertise and capacity for the future. Vivian Adjua Cordy. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. It is clear that the concept of waste and sustainability cannot be easily separated from socioeconomic factors in a continent like Africa. At Dow, we have learned that we must work in collaboration with local organizations, NGOs, local governments, startups in the informal sector in order to have real impact. Thanks for listening to Plastics Unwrapped, creating a circular economy for plastics. The series is hosted by Judy Hicks and presented by Dow. Stay in touch and feel free to share.